Happy Friday, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. <laughs> Do we ever have a special book release show for you today? The book, long awaited, is Tan Books, Ask Your Husband by Stephanie Gordon, who's sitting to my right here. <laughs> we are going to be telling you all about this book today. Steph, welcome to the show. You've been on the show many times and probably consider it ordinary by now. What's up? Hello. You'll have to bear with me. I'm still dealing with I am Omicron, so... Yeah, and I'm also doing what I normally am doing behind the scenes. I'm normally do I'm doing right right now. Like so I'm putting links up and everything. So I'll let I'll let Tim introduce us while I do some housekeeping here. My my goodness, juggling is is a big part of uh, what you do, and and so you'll be doing it on screen a little bit today. But let me tell you, folks, ask your husband. I can I could say this sincerely, is I think the most unique product on the book market today and it's on as of today people are getting their books in the mail pair sharpens and retrogrades i can sincerely tell you and i'm a person who has a book out on feminism myself an anti-feminism book also that particularly from the woman's perspective which is what today is all about what ask your husband is all about this is the most rev anti-revolutionary counter-revolutionary uniquely, wholly, comprehensively anti-feminist book ever written called Ask Your Husband. And we're going to go through I, what I'd say its main four aspects of uniqueness are today. Of course, it's it's somewhat of a look at my book, isn't it great show, <laughs> right? But, hopefully, hopefully it is. But we're going to give you a peek into the book and you'll be able to look. It is a learning moment. It is a culminating moment for the, the, the release of this book, that is, for all of the people, the many, many people, dozens, maybe even hundreds of folks that have reached out to us, probably just dozens, but lots of dozens. Virtually handfuls. <laughs> Virtually <laughs> couples of, of men. No, dozens of men and women that are married that have reached out to us and have said, look, my marriage is in a tough way. I think it's because of X. What can you guys offer? Steph has been the one to lots of... Most of the time, jump on the phone or an email with me and and do what she does and ask your husband codifies all this. So now I let me take a quick crack at it and then you tell me if you think this is right, okay. Steph. There we go. <laughs> what sets this book apart from its other great anti-feminist books is from the female perspective, that rules my book, The Case for Patriarchy, out. From the female perspective, it is completely unpulling of punches when it comes to the, the, the needful Christian submission of wives to men and some derivative things which follow upon that. What do you say? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. You know, one of the greatest um, honors and pleasures that we've had um, since Tim has been doing this apostolate is that people have really, you know, sought us out and involved us in their lives and in a lot of personal ways. So, you know, we've been quite honored um, to be on the phone with really just, you know, people who reach out to us by email and they say, hey, do you have an hour to spend with us, you know, on this this or that marriage topic? Um, Can and, I bring you guys into the fold? Right. And it's going to get deep, and it usually does. And, yeah, sorry, we, so, we have been brought in. I didn't want this just to be like another feminism, anti-feminism book that just says boilerplate, uncontroversial things. I think that if you open it up, you'll find almost immediately that I, I start tackling issues that really nobody wants to talk about. And the truth of the matter is, is that 
we have talked about these things a great deal with couples and other people. So, you know, we know these are the issues that people are facing in their marriages. And one of our main things uh, through Tim's Catholic Apostolate is that we really, to take the culture back, we know that we have to start with the Christian family. And so for us, really shaping the Christian family to be the strongest it can be has just been a focal point for, for our family. And it's a start, the taking back of the family, it's a start to the counter-revolution that is... 90% of the battle, even, you know, the liturgical liberals, the, the, uh, the economic liberals, the cultural liberals out and about in society, um, they lose if we take back the family. So, I mean, that, that's one thing. Yes, this book is the culmination of lots of advice over the last three years that you and I, or you jointly, severally, I jointly, severally have given to people and it's your unique perspective, what the Catholic world, what the Christian world does not need more of. Parish orphans and retrogrades. Platitudes. <laughs> Platitudes. Uh, 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 conferences on reclaiming masculinity or reclaiming Christian femininity that shy away from saying these basic, 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 <laughs> basic things. You look. You can't reclaim authentic Christian femininity or masculinity if you don't start by saying men and women are way different, right? We each have a human soul, a rational will. Great. But outside of that, and we're all equal in dignity, outside of that, however, men are the leaders, women are the followers. And, and so, I, I don't know, I just feel like your book with a really entertaining clarity... <laughs> I, I'm serious. I was reading this book. I tried over the to weekend. make it as fun as possible, even though I'm coming down rather hard on on some aspects of uh, uh, women in our our modern culture. So I don't think just... it's it's not heavy handed at all, though. It's a fun yeah, read. Um, you and I so were funny. we had a bunch of people over at our house last weekend, and you and I just started kind of thumbing through it on the couch because there's so many people with so many different conversations, and it ended up being a little bit of a a, a group <laughs> reading of of the first chapter, and people were like. That's just, just so entertaining. Sweating a little bit on my closest friends and family, like getting a yeah. good look at the book first. You know, a little background actually on the book. I, I, I'm not. I was never interested in writing a book. I never wanted to do this. Um, the, the interesting thing is that um, John Morehouse, God rest his soul. Uh, approached me from Tan Books and asked me, hey, you know, we saw my Twitter account and he said, you know, are you interested in maybe writing, you know, a, a, a book for, for Catholic women? And I said, well, you know, I'll, let me think it over. So Tim over, Tim and I over, gosh, weeks and weeks and weeks, we really sat down and we thought about how could I do this and still be in line with the faith, meaning like I'm not going to be teaching men. I'm going to be addressing it to women. Um, I will not be doing writing this book, you know, if it's going to take over some of the responsibilities I have to the house. I don't want to put anything in my wifely vocation or my motherly vocation on the back burner. So this book was really written at nights you know, just on vacations, just anytime I had a spare moment. And, you know, to Tan's credit, they were very, very generous with their time frames with me because there'll be yeah. a lot of times where I would say, oh, I think I could get it done in a year. And then I'm like, mm, year and a half, maybe two years now. <laughs> you, you didn't push too many deadlines, but I, I will say it was it was remarkable to watch you work because you're juggling so many things. Uh, I don't. I think you only pushed one mini deadline, actually. Uh, Steph hates being late. I I love it. Um, <laughs> we have to. 
balance each other out. Yeah. Because if it were up to me, I would be everywhere. Ten like, minutes early. Ten minutes early. I'd He'll be, be there. Late. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you pushed one little deadline, but I think you made all your main deadlines. And the thing was, you wrote it out of respect for John Morehouse, who had become a friend of our family and he, he had such a good idea and he believed in the idea of ask your husband named after your erstwhile twitter handle but you also wrote the book out of a kind of simple devotion and obedience before a genuine need you know there are certain pro-life leaders out there i won't name names who claim oh i'm needed to the pro-life movement because i have this perspective from being you know so at the heart of the the pro-choice the pro-abortion movement for so long, and you think, no, that's not what's needed on pro-life. But, but with with the case of ask your husband, get it now on tan books. <laughs> that you actually do need a female voice in here, and I want to I want to tend to these four most unique aspects of the book that you're not hearing anywhere else, even on tan or Sophia, even with my book out there, you're not getting a female voice that's bothering to stipulate. So, is it? Can I go through the? Let's do it. Let's go yes. through. <laughs> the four chapters out of eight, it's half of the chapters in the book that I think set it apart. The other four are great. One of the, the, the chapters that won't be included in this list of chapters that make it utterly sui generis, utterly unique, is your uh, fifth chapter, uh, Inerrant Catholic Teaching versus Working Wives. We're citing you and I in our two books that have come out within four months of each other. Many of the same magisterial chapter and verse uh, texts that make it really plain. You know, working wives, any form of first, second, or third wave feminism are outside of the faith. You can't be a Christian feminist. Simplicitaire. But so, so that's great. That's a great chapter. And it's in your book by necessity. And you cite some different sources from, from the ones that I did. But that, so that's, that's really important. We are rejecting in the case for patriarchy and ask your husband total total rejection comprehensive rejection of feminism but i can't say it's sui generis of your book because my book also does that uh dave gordon our brother brother-in-law is also writing a book that says the same so are, that does are not the gordon pets are also writing a feminism book right. so we're going to be having all of the children the gordon children will also be releasing their books on feminism as you can tell the gordons care a lot about feminism which you know let me just take a side moment to say that like the you even good catholic women myself included you don't realize how infiltrated you are by feminism until you really start taking a deep dive and look at yourself and just kind of your habits and the things that you're doing and the way you're relating with your husband and so even for myself, you know, daily and, and weekly, I have to kind of check myself because we do, we are in the culture. We live among, you know, just what's going on out there. And so we do have to kind of take a second and say, okay, wait a second. Am I living according to, you know, traditional Catholic principles or am I kind of letting some of this uh, bad influence of the culture seep into my life? And so you'll be surprised, I think, from some of the things that I have to say in here, like what actually counts as feminism. <laughs> exactly. Until folks read your book they might think that they're anti-feminist and find that that once they read your book they're not so here are the four chapters that i say step you you say whatever you want about each of these one by one but i'll comprehensively read the four that are utterly unique even with respect to my book out there case for patriarchy you're not going to get it any other book chapter one is called the basics do whatever he tells you 
even even writing books, which kind of makes it sound like I made you write this book. And that's not, that's not <laughs> quite the case. You got permission, but do whatever he tells you. That's chapter one. Chapter two is, I think this is really telling, why this book isn't a performed contradiction. <clears throat> the fact that you tend to that, we'll go through them one by one, speaks much. Chapter three, an obedient wife is actually man's best friend. Hilarious. <laughs> and chapter six, wear what he likes, do what he likes. Okay. Probably so the most important chapter for <laughs> for Catholic marriages. For for semi-functional to keeping functional things Catholic fun, marriages. Keeping things yeah. fresh, keeping things just like really good and evergreen in your marriage. That chapter, honestly, I think that chapter, I was really surprised when I got back because with the editing process, they kind of look at everything and they say, yeah, this is good, this is bad. I was actually surprised how many things they let me keep in that chapter. <laughs> so... <laughs> God bless Tan. God bless Tan. Same thing I said about Sophia after the case for Patriot yeah. came out is wow, they, they kept all the 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 counter revolutionary warfare of words in there. Uh, God bless Sophia for for publishing the case for patriarchy. God bless Tan for publishing Ask Your Husband. So you wanna you wanna Let's tend to that chapter six first? Wear sure. what he likes. Do what he likes. Let me turn there. I've got some questions for you, Mrs. Gordon. Oh, my goodness. Here it, it begins. <laughs> crazy, crazy bastard. Right. Uh, I mean, you got to be crazy. You got to be crazy to be a woman and write this book. By the way, people out there, if you want to support this channel, already the attacks have come. They've been coming, especially since Case for Patriarchy came out. What do you think is going to happen to a couple that's written these two books, The Case for Patriarchy mm -hmm. and Ask Your Husband. If you want to support the channel, buy each of the books. Support Sophia and Tan by buying Ask Your Husband on Tan, The Case for Patriarchy. It's funny because I think Sophia. God really put us together because I, most people, I think, I think we're a little abnormal. I'm not saying this as like a way to like give myself a compliment when I'm really trying to. I, I think most people are normally, they normally function where they don't really enjoy I guess the controversy. the controversy or the fight. It's funny. I think God really placed us suitably together because we find these kinds of things like like challenging, you know, people and their ideas and the culture. We fight. We really get a kick out of it and we love it. So, you know, I guess I can I can thank the good Lord for giving me that sort of disposition because I think a lot of these um, these things really need to be said and a lot and nobody wants to t take on women. I think all of you out there like understand like how the culture is functioning currently, where you can it is just beyond except you cannot ever criticize a woman in this society. It is not acceptable to criticize a woman for any reason at any time in any place. And this book does it yes. but it does so in all the ways that women really do need to be challenged but in a way that i'm saying i just want all you christian ladies out there really all women but it's like i want you to have great marriages i want you to have happy fulfilling lives and you're not if you're in the married vocation you're not going to find that in the workplace you're not going to find that in the workplace you're going to find that with your husbands and your families and i that in turn is going to help change society if we can just fo refocus on the Christian family and really portray a good, happy, solid Christian unit out there. In ways that are not being done by the anti-feminist anti literature out there now, particularly the female anti-feminist literature seeds too many feminist premises. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not critiquing anyone's book in particular. There are other good anti-feminist books out there, but to be excellent, you have to tend to, I'd say, these four points. So we're dealing, we're taking the chapters, I guess, in reverse because you wanted to talk about <laughs> the sixth chapter, wear what he likes, do what he likes first. Uh, can I just say first, 
thank God. God is so good. He put us together. I, I really, I've always admired your pluck. This takes a plucky woman to write this book. Um, both of us have always subscribed to this idea of uh, fiat justitia, ruat chalem, let justice be done though the heavens fall. This is what it is to tell the truth in an emperor's new clothes era, and it doesn't get more emperor's new clothes-y-ish than in the realm of feminism. So your, your, your chapter toward the back of the book, there are eight chapters. We're talking about four of them today. Wear what he likes, do what he likes. I'll read you, Steph, and um, lovely Steph, and, <laughs> and the audience here, a passage. You'll get a little sample. You comment on it, okay? Does that okay, work? Okay, I'll do my best. To... Okay, so you're saying, <laughs> you start out, this is that right at the beginning of chapter six, and you're saying, look, husbands have to give more, wives have to give more. Marriage is in a crappy way. It's in mm. a super crappy way. Uh, we need the Germans to build a word to express the crappiness of the way of of, of traditional marriage now. Uber, uber crappy. Like perfect okay? and schlag. <laughs> perfect <laughs> and schlag. Um, okay, so here's the thing. You'll say, here's what husbands tend to be blind to. Here's what wives tend to be blind to. Other Catholics will do this. What's unique about your book is other Catholics will say, husbands need to do X, wives need to do Y, and they'll lean 100% of their weight or 99% of their weight on what the husbands need to do. Right. Your book is... Saying husbands need to do such and thus better, wives need to do such and thus, and 99.99% of the weight is on what wives need to do, meaning you're violating the cardinal rule of 2022, never say a negative thing, or a constructive criticism even about a woman. Here's what you say. Husbands, typically intentional and goal-oriented, frequently lose sight of this fact, the, the, the change blindness of marriage you're saying, this fact, when they stop wooing their wives after the wedding day. A husband ought to pursue his wife like he did when their courtship was beginning, striving to earn her tender affections. He should take his wife on regular dates, show active interest in her day's triumphs and travails, proffer her meaningful tokens of his affection, and refresh her morale with sincere compliments. This is a lovely little list. These sound like tokens, but they prove quite meaningful for his bride. Now, you kind of get that out of the way, and you mean it, and I know you mean it because these things matter very much to you. But now, here's what wives need Maybe to do. Maybe like a reverberation. It's like, and now the women. Yeah. Se <laughs> secrets of the universe. From and now, secrets. now the women. The women. Which is where you're like, you get that out there. No one's pissed. No one's uh, uh, wagging their finger in your face. Nobody's tearing their garments. <coughs> no one is tearing his garments. Because of what you said about husbands. Everyone knows that you could criticize men till the cows come home. Oh. Now, here's what you say about wives. I want you to comment on this. <laughs> wives, typically sentimental and present tense oriented, frequently lose sight of the fact that men remain the same visually oriented creatures they were during courtship and haven't become massive jerks for maintaining and expressing their attraction to objective beauty. By way of example, I like how you say objective beauty, the Greek gold standard. Uh, by way of example, Oxford scientists have theorized that babies were created to be cute so that their mothers are subliminally and constantly encouraged to care for them, even when the infant proves to be incredibly challenging. This is an excellent point. Just as God created babies to be so cute their mothers would nurture them, God created women to be so beautiful or beautiful so that their husbands would remain attracted to them. A wife can certainly help her husband's daily pursuit of her by looking pretty for him and keeping in shape. More on this later. But exterior beauty ought not stop there. It should lead a husband to his wife's heart. 
Clearly, the best marriages are constituted by husbands and wives who remember these sex-specific challenges every day. Now, what what do you say? It's so important, yeah. so basic, so unspoken. You first. It's funny. I'm talking about this right now, and I'm like five months pregnant with our seventh. <laughs> It gets harder. All you ladies out there who have been pregnant know it gets much harder to keep up appearances when you're when you're when you're with child. Nonsense. <laughs> but okay, so this is like the just purely honest time. Like this is the email that we are getting most from Catholic husbands, and so many of them. Like when they found out I was writing the book, I got so many emails from people from men that are begged me like, please address wives letting themselves go not not really being attentive to their husband's needs uh just just the, the the full gamut of that and i i really the best marriages i've ever seen will be these you know ladies in their 70s who are still booking you know hair and nail appointments and they yeah. still are you know wearing their their fanciful garb and just really trying hard and you know i've Luckily, you know, we, we've met a few of those, not too many, but a few women that are like that. And it's always kind of like, I make a joke about this in the book. It's kind of always like the the uh, TMI aunt that has a marriage like that, who, you know, is the, always the one that's like during bridal showers, giving really saucy presents to like the new bride and making jokes and stuff. But Sexually I, explicit. <laughs> I, I quote, tips. I quote the, the, uh, the part in uh, my big frat Greek wedding when um, Tula, um, the, the new bride, is about to get married and the mother, her mother sits her down and she says to her, Tula, Greek women, we are lambs in the kitchen, but we are tigers in the bedroom. And the and Tula, you know, says, ooh, can that be the end of your speech? <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's humorous. But you know what? Maria Putacalos ha probably has a very good marriage because she has that point of view. And so this this part, this, this chapter, um, gosh, what chapter is it? Six? Six. Chapter six is probably Where my, would he likes, do what he likes. Where would he likes, do what he likes is probably going to be my most... Um, I will get the most angry reviews on Amazon about this chapter because I really tell women, like, stop letting yourself go. You know, don't make excuses about, you know, being intimate with your husband just because you're tired. We get into all sorts of just really... I'm going to go through some of them. Hardy subjects. <laughs> I guess I become that creepy aunt in that this chapter. I'm the one that's kind of giving like the, the saucy presence during the, To your yeah. credit, not in a in, in, in Tula's uh, saucy aunt way, in a way that's helpful, that's specific enough to be helpful, but is not needlessly specific. You're just saying, look, you go through a la Thomas Aquinas in the Summa, mm -hmm. yeah. objections and uh, replies and, and the odds, ADS, right? The objection and the ad. Um, that's the way to do it. And you go through, look, you think you have one of the exceptions to keeping yourself uh, to wearing what he likes, doing what he likes. Okay, let's try him out. There are some veritable exceptions. If you are a paraplegic or a quadriplegic man or woman, you have the right to let yourself go. If you extreme things like this. So you allow you try out some of the objections. I think we've heard all of them, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say, look, here's the objection. Here's why I don't need to, as a Christian wife, wear, wear what he likes, do what he likes. And you show why that's wrong. And you say, look, and here's how I'm not just batting that down. I'm saying, yes, I see the semi-veritable ground 
for the objection, but here's how you get around it logically and logistically. It's it's very, very helpful. You I'm go through in this it, chapter of I'm seeing it in society, women in general giving their husband the attitude of he'll take what I give him. He yep. will take what I give him and he will be thankful for it. Yep. <laughs> and that's not how men work. And, you know, to tr keep trying to push that narrative to your husband sends so many bad messages. It says, I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your preferences. I'm not really even caring about, like, the healthfulness between us in, in a multitude of ways. You know, I, I really, in this chapter, I'm trying to remind Christian wives, you still should be your husband's girlfriend. You should still act and behave and... And, you know, as we all age, you know, but it's like you don't have to dress like you were when you were in your 20s. But, you know, you you keep up appearances. You keep trying to win your husband's heart by by doing nice things for him, by by honoring his preferences. And I think that's a subchapter in, in this is it is honoring preferences makes marriages great again. And it's your first subsection. Oh, is chapter. it? Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I wrote this over several years ago, so I'm reacquainting myself with my own work. <laughs> the marital act. Folks, remember this. Steph, Steph really highlights it in chapter six. The marital act, the one act that's essential, synonymous, whatever you will, with marriage is intercourse between husband and wife. It's really important. And no, it's not simply a supernatural act. It's got natural components. You have There's natural and supernatural components to the marital act, meaning naturally, the natural virtues still lead to it. The natural sexual virtues, right? Fitness, intimacy, uh, you know, spending time together earlier that day. But, but fitness, wearing specific things that, that one another like, husband for wife, wife for husband. It's a bigger deal, wife for husband. But it, it, for some women, it's a really big deal that the husband wear, that, you know, the, the, we're getting specific now, but it's really important. You write right after this section, you don't have to comment on this. I just, mm -hmm. it's such a great remark. I, no, I mean, you can if you like. <laughs> I just, I, I, I have lots of passages to read and I want to get to them, but say yeah. something if you do. Yeah. Uh, because feminism has preponderated in the Western world, husbands are simultaneously chided colorfully, colorfully for their own typical shortcomings and reproved for daring to address the husbandly grievances arriving from their wives' shortcomings. I mean, enough said there. It's the sentence right after you go through husbands. You could do this to keep it sexy for the wives. Wives, you could do this to keep it sexy for the husbands. Right. So you point out the hypocrisy right there. I don't think, yeah, I don't know, maybe you want to say something. But the point is, keep it sexy, keep it safe. Right? Right. That's that's the name of the game. And that is Christian. That's you Christian, just, yeah. Exactly. I think it's no. so good. Heard that. All right. The second part, I have two parts from each of the four chapters I wanted to point out. You, you comment, Steph, because it's just good stuff. Um, the second part, right before you go into your nine or ten objections in chapter six, where what he likes, do what he likes, is this. I think you should be up for eventually canonization for writing this book because husband, Christian oh husbands owe you a, a Coke or something for, for <laughs> codifying this. They don't have to have all these difficult conversations aside from, hey, this husband's called, this book's called Ask Your Husband. Why don't you uh, read it, wifey? I love you. Why don't you read it? it? It might be able to help us. I'll read The Case for Patriarchy. You read Ask Your Husband. We're going to go through the exception in chapter two next. So get ready for that, which also sets this book apart from any other anti-feminist lit out there. Okay, it's called Skip the Rest of This Chapter If You Aren't Ready to Hear What Men Really Want. Okay, now this really is what I was surprised they left. They let, they let stay in the book. So, Caveat emptor. Everybody put on a brave face. Let's go there. <laughs> put on a brave face. 
Uh, caveat emptor, you even begin with warning. Warning, if you subscribe to the incredibly selfish, unhealthy, and intimacy-killing body positivity movement, central to feminism, central to Lucifer and the diabolical left, destroying marriages, the, the most important aspect of society, if you subscribe to body positivity movement, you're about to be genuinely offended by this entire section. I'm not going to read the entire section, but there's some paragraphs I want to get to. Does everybody want to take a breath there and regroup cross yourselves Center. twice <laughs> ladies if your husband has never sat you down to request and this is all ladies ladies yeah. of all different shapes and sizes if your husband has never sat you down to request respectfully that you honor his fashion exercise dietary or romantic preference you likely have a grave marital problem it probably goes the other way too husbands if your wife has never sat you down and been like i really need you to do x y or z you probably have a problem of checking out, right? Anyone who's married to anyone else for life and not checked out mentally will have requests. See, so see how basic that is? Um, since, Steph says, like I've already mentioned, none of us is perfect, unless women out there really think they are, healthy marriages occasion many such conversations. The subtext is only unhealthy marriages do not occasion such mm -hmm. conversations. Um, Accordingly, such a taciturn husband, that is, one who never speaks up, can only be of the opinion that his wife would not handle such a conversation productively. Either such a man is the least assertive human being in the history of the world, or he's correct that such a conversation would prompt an unpleasant wifely tantrum. It's usually that. Let's just be honest, it's usually that. <laughs> or some combination there, but it's always at least two. It's either two with a little of one splashed in or... Or two. I think a lot of women out there, unfortunately, have trained men really well not to, to bring things up with them because they know it's going to be unpleasant. And I think that's where we get a lot of the ridiculous, like, shameful statements like, happy wife, happy life, and, oh, let me ask the boss. I, I, I mean, I know you guys have heard us harp about that, but I, those two statements are, when I hear people say that, I just, I, I, I almost feel like, what is the movie where, oh, it's Ace Ventura where he, like, <gasps> Soccer kicker, but no, no, no. like, like, like too much to say. Yeah. I was like going into the black where I'm like my eyes are rolling into the back of my head and I'm about to like go on like a twenty minute philippic about how it's... ridiculous those things are. You should. Because it's so wrong, it's so damaging, and it's so ubiquitous. Friends, other Catholic podcasters mm -hmm. that that are not feminist simplicitaire will be part of group podcasts or there have been a few lately or conferences on masculinity, femininity, uh, Catholic matrimony, keeping it great, blah, 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 that are still giving the nod and the wink and the secret stonecutter's handshake to happy wife, happy life. It's what everyone else out there is saying. Aside from me, from a male perspective, the case for patriarchy, from Sophia books, or you <laughs> in Ask Your Husband, and that makes it more unique. Like, look, can I, you just, the, the writing is so good and so clear here, I just want to get oh. out a little more. Is that okay with you? Yes. See? Uh, oh. Ooh, asking permission. No. Asking. Happy wife, happy life, people. <laughs> oh, Cucks are oh, the best. Oh, no. Um, no, I just mean, because yeah. it's your, your text, I want to let you control the pace here. Yeah, let's go um, so either such a man is the least assertive human being in the history of the world, or he's correct that such a conversation would prompt an unpleasant wifely tantrum, which rules America. It rules the popular culture now. 
I can't begin to tell you how many emails my husband and I receive through my husband's apostolate from faithful Catholic men asking how to effectively approach their wives about an unaddressed weight or gluttony issue. But wow, you are public enemy number one, my friend. Oh, oh yeah. I'm not walking next to you at the store. Um, just joking. <laughs> from, any ma- just like, <laughs> yeah. from any male's point of view, this proves to be the granddaddy of all intimacy killers. Women, okay, answer out loud if you're watching this. What is the granddaddy of all intimacy killers from the female point of view? Are you answering? Okay, it doesn't matter what it is. You have the right to that perspective. And probably most females out there, because you have a common nature, said the same thing or are thinking the same thing. But males have this too. Weakness. What? (laughs) Weakness. Weakness. Girlishness. Girlishness. Uh, But male, you see what I'm saying? Men have the right to this too. And you are right that the the weight, gluttony, me, 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 you'll get what I give, what I choose to give. It might be the scraps from the table. Mm -hmm. Women saying that to men is the number one intimacy killer. Does your husband seem like he resents you? It's probably because of that. Does your wife seem like she resents you? It's probably because she sees your weakness. And I I don't just mean physically. I mean, she probably knows if you're addicted to porn. She probably knows if you don't look at her enough and you look around too much at other women. She probably knows that you're an incontinent will. And and that's not respectable for a man. Steph continues, it's probably one of the marital topics about which we received the most emails. And I would remove the word probably. It is. It is. Yeah. We spend a lot of time on the phone about this one. Phone, email, DMs. Yeah. Before any gentlewoman loses her stately composure here, most of these men sincerely aim to sexually desire their wives. Did you hear that? To sexually desire their wives. They yeah, because I could hear now, I could hear like some of the detractors out there like, oh, these men. Oh, how dare they say these things about their wives. Like, ladies, most of the emails we're getting from the men who have this issue with their wives are literally saying, hey, I want to sexually desire my wife. I want this aspect of our marriage to be the healthiest and the greatest it could be but we need to 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 work with something here like we need to um focus on our health and for men the visual aspect is very 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 important and so they're literally just asking they're actually terrified of hurting their wives feelings which is why we're getting the emails and they're saying how do we approach this with our wives how can i lovingly and gently tell my wife like hey we need to have more intimacy in our marriage in the marital bedroom and this is affecting that how do i do that a great deal more yeah if there's more intimacy in the marital bedroom all of America's big problems go away. All, I'm serious. All of the church's big problems go away. If there's more sexual intimacy in the marital bedroom, there's no looking around. There's no porn. Porn epidemic among married people is solved overnight. Uh, the, you know, divorce issues solved overnight. Uh, fighting too much but not getting divorced is solved overnight. Uh, children <laughs> seeing the love between their parents and actually wanting. Uh, a holy matrimony when they get a little bit older, that problem is solved overnight. I'm telling you. You want your kids to see. You want society and your children to see. Everyone has difficulties in their marriage. I'm not like trying to sweep that under the rug. We all go through stuff. I'm just saying you want society and especially your own children to see the marital bond, how special, wonderful, and great it is. And and specifically within a Catholic traditional marriage, like what fruits come from that? Like just just a lifelong friendship, all the Shit tons of children. Just so I'm (laughs) pregnant with number seven right now. So I'm sick and pregnant right now. 
But that's one of the fruits, right? It's that's just ton, tons of children. Tons. Just how many children do we have? I don't know. Uh, They're down there somewhere. It's like dozens. Um, no, it's it's absolutely true what you say. I'm just going to go on a little more. Yeah, let's go. By reaching out for advice, these men are seeking a way to fix failing intimacy due to their mm-hmm. wives' letting themselves go. It's apparent from the letters that these men truly don't want to hurt their wives' feelings. Like you said, they're terrified to do so. Part of that, a large part of that's selfish. A large part of it's not selfish, though. They genuinely don't want to hurt it, hurt the feelings of their wives. On the contrary, they convincingly seem terrified of hurting their wives' feelings, which is why they're struggling so poignantly and in their hesitancy, failing to address so sensitive an issue. Now, you go through, and there, there are more paragraphs before you get to your objections, but here are the objections. You answer them all so excellently, so expertly, so tenderly. Objection one, but I, I can't wear what he likes, do what he likes, because I have a disability and cannot safely exercise. You respond expertly. Objection two, sure, I have a weight issue, but I don't need to lose weight because my husband loves me no matter how much I weigh. You answer the hell out of that one. Uh, Objection three, (laughs) losing weight won't enhance my self-esteem. Why even try? Objection four, I simply don't have the time to dedicate to exercise. Objection five, why should I lose weight if my husband is overweight too? That's a great answer there. You should both lose weight. (laughs) That's the answer. (laughs) That's the answer. But it's... It's a little, uh, it's a little softer and with more specifics. Yeah. You're really specific, and it's very satisfying. Objection six. Okay, perhaps I should lose weight, but isn't this all just vanity? You cite Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle on this oh, one. Yeah. Objection seven. I recently had a baby, and I can't imagine focusing on my weight right I'm now. I'm always recently having babies, so I understand. <laughs> I, I, I understand that one. <laughs> A lot of these are things I, believe me, a lot of these things are advice I've given myself over the years because <laughs> I'm pregnant every two two years, so I've had, I've struggled with that myself. <laughs> You're super good at it. You've gotten super good at it. Objection eight, <coughs> what if my husband isn't being kind about my weight and is yeah. uncharitably pressuring me into slimming down less? That's not good. You have lots of good stuff to say Husbands about it. still need to be Saint jo- uh, act like St. Joseph. Right. Objection nine, my husband prefers a bigger frame. Losing weight would actually go against his preferences. Heard that. That's an interesting one. Uh, objection 10, what if I am currently at a healthy weight and my husband still wishes me to lose weight? Uh, that's You're kind of doing uh, boilerplates here. Objection 11, is it a lie that being overweight is harm? It is a lie that is that being overweight is harmful to my health. That's just Baloney. Baloney. Talk to your cardiologist, toots. Um, okay, so I, I just think, I, I think you all see now, without even reading the book, this is a long chapter. And it's very specific. It's very helpful. It's not just tearing women down. I actually really care. I know it sounds kind of, oh my gosh, Steph Gordon's super mean. But like, I actually really do care about the state of people's marriages and having a, he- a happy, healthy home life. Honestly, the greatest pleasure and honor of my life has been my marriage. And I have lots of flaws and lots of things I need to work on as a Christian woman. And I, you know, I'm constantly trying to do my best, you know, being a better mother, being a better homeschooler, like just things like that. But one of the things that I am the most proud of is my marriage. And, you know, I've just, when I was approached to write this, you know, I thought, well, do I have enough to say about this sort of thing? But, you know, after talking to friends and family and just, you know, of course, Tim was number one on that list. It's like, there are some unique things that I could say and help and to remind women of that just nobody I don't think feels comfortable doing because they don't want to be like the bad guy they don't want to be 
you know, taking after women or going too hard after women. So, you know, I'm kind of sticking my neck out there. <laughs> no one wants the blowback. If People, if you want to support the channel, patreon.com, Timothy J. Gordon. You'll support both of us. It's the best way. Timothy J. Gordon on patreon.com. Because you can see there's going to be blowback. People watching out there now see just from the preliminary, the first of four ways that utterly set this book apart um, uh, against all the other anti-feminist lit out there, even good Catholic anti-feminist lit, they haven't been so bold as you to say, wear what she likes, do it, uh, wear what he likes, do what he likes. Um, and, and people should see you're going through objections, you're being really specific, and you're doing so in a caring way. I'm adding okay. in philosophy, theology, you know, we're talking, uh, oh gosh, I've probably read, just, I can't even tell you how many encyclicals. I mean, I really did try to give you you know, meat and potatoes with this book, you right. know. And and some of the funny things I noticed people were saying in, um, in some of the other videos when Tim was talking about it is like, oh, like you're making money off this. Honestly, if I could make this for free, I would. And if I could just be completely honest with you guys, like authors don't write books for money because you don't really make much. <laughs> Unless you're like on a bestseller list, you know, you're not really breaking in the big bucks anyway. So, you know, really I did this because I really do care about Catholic marriages and marriages in general. That's and, true. you know, I really want women to, you know, my, my dream, I always, I was just talking to a good friend of mine this the other day that my dream, you know, we always talk about, we pray for a happy death. My dream for a happy death is to be surrounded, you know, by my family, all the children that I've had, all my great grandchildren, and just see all of those faces and know that this is where I dedicated my life. I didn't dedicate my life to some stupid career. Anybody can replace you at your dumb career, guys. I'm sorry. I don't care how special your career is or how good it is you are at it. The most important thing a woman can do is to be there for her family, to be at the, serv the service of her family. I, I Just the stupid career adulation and, oh, I'm really good at this and nobody else can replace me. That's baloney. Anyone can replace you. Lots of people can replace you at your job. Nobody can replace you in the eyes of your children or your, your husband. And nobody can replace the heart of the home. And I just, I, the, the happiest women I see are the ones that know that. Amen. So you're getting into chapter two. We're, we're going in no certain order. We're, we're taking the four chapters that most set this book, Ask Your Husband, apart from the other ones. We did the last chapter that I picked first because I think it's the spiciest. Now you're, you're automatically kind of bridging the gap here, Steph, as to chapter two which also sets it apart why this book isn't a performed contradiction. The fact, in my view, that you <laughs> troubled to stipulate <clears throat> chapter two, right up front, why this book isn't a performed contradiction also sets you apart from other female anti-feminist authors because you're like, look, I know that there are some landmines here. Just yeah. by writing a book and instructing a large uh, section of the public, that could be a performed contradiction. And if I'm being fully honest, I think some of the other anti-feminist authors who are female have, have stepped on those landmines. What do you say? Well, we really investigated this. You know, what's funny about this whole thing that you guys see us doing right now is that I'm, I'm not used to this whole, the camera, the books, all of this stuff. I helped him behind the scenes, but it's just not my thing. It's his thing. And so I'm still kind of getting used to this. And one of the things that... I I'm had to get used. What <laughs> are the things you I you have to get used to when you're doing this? Because we get lots of emails on this too. Like, oh, I want to start a Catholic podcast, and I'm like, <laughs> go for it. You go for it. Like, and we will support you, and we'll help you, and I'll tell you how to do all the equipment and everything. But 
be forewarned, people can be the worst. And they can say really, really mean things. They can get into your private life. They can try to like destroy you and take you down. And so one of the things that we really did with this book is that we really spent a lot of time talking to priests that we trust, investigating the theology, the you know, just all the stuff on what, how I could actually do a book like this and still be in line with traditional Catholic femininity. And so it's funny, we'll get these comments every now and again where people will say, oh, well, aren't you making money? Well, women are allowed to sell crafts. And the, they, they did so in scripture, right? We know of women who sold crafts from the home. I wrote this book from the home and not one of my duties was ever put on the back burner you know to so that i can accomplish anything in this book which is why it took me so long honestly to write it's really but clear it, if you look at the, yeah. the 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 two the bimillennial catholic teaching on women working they can work because i asked married women yeah. in and around the home but i mean not all of the ancient authors say that they can help their husbands in the fields which is most of what it was happening it, the the most important thing is you can't be taken out of the home. So that that is not a we really sat down. There. Tim and I do this thing where sometimes we'll when we're we're kind of making a decision or we're having a decision, we're discussing these things. Uh, you know, one of us will be just play devil's advocate. It's like, oh well, what about this and what about that? And all of the like kind of snarky, like oh, we got you on this one type questions. We went through a lot of this stuff. So when we're reading them in the comment section, like oh yeah, Steph Gordon has a new book on feminism. Like I thought you're not supposed to teach men. Well, I'm not. I'm not, you know, you're not going to catch us up. You know, we, we spent weeks and weeks. And to the credit of Tan, they were very, very good with me because I kind of felt bad because when I came back with them and I'm like, yes, I will write this book. However, I have a lot of asterisks here. Like I am not going to be doing a bunch of TV interviews or radio interviews. I kind of I want to be more private. I'll go on to Tim's. You know, I don't want to be too public. I don't want to address men in this book. I really want to address women, you know, because I'm allowed to do that. I'm going to need a ton of time. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of things that I kind of came back to them. And as like a new author, it's like, well, who is she? But they were really, really great with they me. They were. But that's the main, <laughs> most important theological <clears throat> way that you point out in chapter two that sets you apart from some of the other anti-feminist lit where women are purporting to instruct men. That's the most important way to get to. Anyone who's not an idiot knows women can, <laughs> married women can work from the home. But more importantly, you trouble to stipulate over the course of a chapter that you are not purporting to teach men. St. Paul writes time yeah. and time and time again in scripture, women cannot teach men, right? Women, no, not even the Virgin Mary could teach men, right? I did a tweet on this a couple months back. Women cannot teach men. And in, can I read a couple sections here? Yeah. From uh, This is from page 43 in chapter 2. All Christian wives, you write, must actively embrace their own passivity and encourage their husband's preferences in regard to their own wifely voice. Each faithful Christian husband's answer is good enough to suffice. And while St. Paul refrains from answering the precise question at issue, he provides an appropriate set of answers related to female authority. Here's what he writes that you quote, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silence in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as even the law says. If there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. This is uh, first, first Corinthians. Um, 
This is holy scripture. It's holy scripture. First Corinthians <laughs> chapter 14. You say about this to all the Christian feminists out there. Why would this be taught by inerrant scripture if, if my characterization of women as second in command wasn't true? Once more, we are not permitted to teach, except perhaps as a kind of teacher's aid to our husbands, because teaching implies headship. As a related matter, Steph writes, the notion of a woman speaking in church and writing a book may be connected. This is why you're stipulating. As such, St. Paul's instruction to women on consulting their husbands without questions of theology, well, with questions of theology, was particularly meaningful to me. That's you. As a female author on the topic of a wife's proper role in her vocation, I'm especially called to ask my husband for guidance. Female authors ought not to commandeer the male right of leadership. Authoring an anti-feminist book from a woman's perspective would be consistent with scripture only if her husband's active uh, with her husband's active guidance and approval. On this note, St. Paul also writes in scripture, let a woman learn in silence with all submissiveness. I permit no women to teach or to have authority over men. She's to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet woman will be saved through bearing children, if she continues in faith and love and holiness with modesty. Um, that's from 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's like, Amen. Um, <laughs> well, when you say, where this book differs significantly from my husband's feminism book, Case for Patriarchy, Sophia Institute Press, is that I do not presume to teach men how to run their households. My objective is to help guide my sisters in Christ to humble themselves to their husband's authority. Do you want to say something here? There's there's another, there's more Pauline scripture yeah. on who you are allowed to teach, women. It's funny because I I was talking to some, some really great women friends of mine, and it's and I was expressing that when you write a book like this, I think a lot of people presume, oh, she thinks she knows everything, and like she thinks she's like the guru of like Catholic marriages or women and all this other stuff, and it's like, no, 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 I... I, truth be told, a lot of the things that I wrote about in, the, in this book, these are things that I myself struggled with. I came from a secular background. I converted to Catholicism. You know, I didn't know anything about the faith until I met Tim. And, you know, I was always very conservative, very pro-life. But I honestly, admittedly, had some um, feminist leanings myself that I had to work through. And so a lot of the things in here are you know, self-admitted struggles and self-admitted things that I'm, I am I was like, you know what, I had this bad idea, but I worked through this. Or, hey, you know, after I, you know, I have a baby, I tend to be a little more grumpy with my husband and I need to constantly remind myself that, you know, his feelings matter too. It's not just me. It's, 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 it's the dynamics of the family. So lots of the things in here, it's most of the things in here, it isn't meant to come across as, you know, I think I know everything. It's that, hey, I'm with you. I understand. But don't give yourself excuses. Really investigate your faith. Really investigate how, you know, what the model of, of, of Catholic femininity is, Our Lady, and, and try your very best to meet that. And it can be very, very hard and challenging at times. Um, I, I certainly relate to that, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it if you if you give it a, a good college try. Yeah, so um, there are some places where the Bible is very specific, St. Paul in the Pauline uh, epistles, on where women are allowed to permit and they're allowed to, sorry, allowed to teach. They're allowed to teach younger women. And what are they supposed to be teaching the younger women? Older married women with younger married women? Literally, 
Ask your husbands. Be submissive to your husbands. Here's how you be submissive to your husbands. This is what women are encouraged to teach younger women. Titus chapter 2 says uh, older women may teach younger women that they may teach uh, the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, not to drink too much wine, actually, is is mentioned in St. Paul's. Uh, Some things you're reading scripture like, oops. <laughs> Boop. Gotta work on that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see where else. The husband with wife. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. Yeah, so there's um, all throughout Timothy and Titus and 1 Corinthians, St. Paul's saying women should keep silent in church. Women have no authority to teach men in or out of church. But they do have, uh, in all of these passages, there's some sort of caveat. Women are permitted to teach uh, men, uh, younger women. women. Yeah, so so Mm -hmm. that's why even in the title of your book, Ask your husband. You make it explicit that this is not a, a performed contradiction. You're addressing wives. Now, if husbands read your book, it's fine. We got fine. that question yesterday. Like, oh, well, I'm a man. Can I read it? And it's like, oh, I can't. Again, I'm not going to tell you not to read it. But, but it but, takes the difference. And yeah. I can, look, I can read uh, Pliny's rescript to Trajan. Pliny, uh, his famous rescript to Emperor Trajan. It's now famous, right? I'm reading it as someone who is not addressed right? Mm-hmm. Trajan was the one who was addressed. Why, Christian wives are being addressed by this book. Other people, Christian husbands, kids, can read this book, but they're reading it the way I read Pliny's rescript, famous rescript to, to Emperor Trajan. You see, see the difference? Steph is not contradicting herself. She's doing as St. Paul said to do. You're not going to catch her out on this because she was so, she didn't, set out to write a book. Someone asked her to and said, was John Morehouse, uh, God repose his soul, said, look, Steph, ha- let's just be honest. Steph has an utterly unique voice. There are all these other ostensible Catholic anti-feminist women, but when you read their books, you find them presuming to give advice to men, working a lot of them, writing the book, writing books for a living habitually, uh, not minding all these landmines that are too easy to step on. Steph, on the other hand, asks in another section in chapter two, says, is teaching women to read and write a good thing? Which is hilarious. She's going to answer yes. In the previous <laughs> Wait, chapters... should say that beforehand. The answer was yes. The answer Before is yes. starts like looting and, and pillaging. And <laughs> yeah. In the previous chapters, I have defended the importance of female non-leaders, such as myself, availing themselves and their readers of the written word, especially in this book's domain of anti-feminist encouragement. This raises yet another important inquiry. Many feminists contemplate the following question. If a woman is to be primarily in the home after she is married, what use is there for her to understand academic disciplines like philosophy and theology? Oh my gosh, it's like such a, like you have, this is the thing that a lot of uh, women, I, I'm, when I'm talking about uh, working women in the later chapter, um, they say, well, what am I going to do with my time if I don't have kids? It's like, read Catholic theology, uh, uh, read the church fathers. That's such a great use of your time. I didn't know any of this stuff before I met Tim. And he was kind of, you know, giving me really great pointers of read this, read this, read, catch up on literature. I went to public school. It was a terrible education. I didn't get to read a lot of the great classics, things like that. My first year of marriage or first few years of marriage, I was playing catch up. You know, I was, once I finished my household duties, it's like, yeah, I didn't have kids, but oh my goodness, 
educating yourself, learning about your faith, reading these books, like really investigating the, you know, the beauty of the Catholic faith during those years. I wish, honestly, I wish I would have done it more, but it's like, that's how, you know, you can dispose of your time if you have free time. You'd attend some of my classes for me if I got sick when I was uh, studying in Rome, uh, graduate studies at the Gregorian Pontifical University and the Angelicum. You went in there and you're like, Wow, that was awesome. And and the thing is, you're always bettered by reading, by getting an education. A true education is philosophy and theology, maybe philology as well, mm. the classics. You're always bettered. It's better for your human soul, your moral, intelligent human soul to get educated. You don't get educated to get scale, to become a barber, right? That's... That's trade school. That's trade school. That's more you educate like... yourself for your soul. And yeah. This, and, and, and frankly, for, for Catholic women in particular who are entering into the vocation of marriage, think about how rich your homeschooling will be. You know, I, I had to learn so... I'm still learning so much when I'm teaching my kids. You know, even like in theology, I'll be sitting down there with the lessons. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't know that. But it's like if you can have a good foundation of education and like you, the basics of your faith and you understand even more than that when you're when you're homeschooling your kids, like, my goodness, what a good use of your time. And dinner table discussions instead of talking about gossip from work or from the neighborhood or petty, petty things, petty family gossip. Imagine a husband and wife, not LARPy. You know, we're, we're anti-LARP on like Rules for Retrogrades. Yeah, no, you can literally you can literally have real conversations that the children listen to maybe as they get older participate in mm-hmm. about interesting stuff philosophy and theology if both parties husband and wife are educated in this and the wife if she's homeschooling the kids will have been during the day while the husband's away at work educating the the, the kids and so the kids will have an extra occasion to jump in and to to join the family discussion. Teaching women to read and write theology, philosophy is an excellent thing. In fact, many husbands feel pressure to get more of like a trade degree, something practical, than philosophy or theology. Something that makes money. Yeah, something that makes money. So maybe the wife is the only one with the luxury as the non-worker that had a formal education in philosophy or theology, maybe not. But the point is this: we're about out of battery, so we should probably wrap it up. Some. <laughs> okay. Well, that's 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 good. Um, well, I want to go through one and um, one and three as well. The point is, the book's not a performed contradiction, and it's so not a performed contradiction that you even see fit to stipulate. In this case, the fact that you take your duty, Steph, as wife and mom, so seriously. That you, you write a book and you're like, I'm going to make part of the content of this book a simple reminder as to what the rules are. That proves that you're, you're being a good steward of those rules. And I, I just, I think um, that chapter is really important, chapter two. Now, chapter one is the basics, do whatever he tells you, even writing books. Uh, oh boy, we get so many emails about that where they're like, do whatever he tells you. What if my husband's telling me to do something that's a mortal sin? Guys, this is just common sense. You, your husband's not allowed to tell you to do something that's a mortal sin. He's not allowed to tell you to contracept. He's not allowed to tell you to do certain things. Now, outside of that, the unfortunate answer is he's allowed to tell you what to do. <laughs> right. He's, he can say, hey, you guys, I would like this, not that. I'd like this meal, not that meal. I want, we're going here. This is where we're moving. This, I'm switching careers. I'm doing this. Like the, he's allowed to do that. St. Paul, the, the Council of Trent, the Catechism of Trent are very clear. 
Women must submit to men in all things. Men don't have to submit to women in anything, right? They submit their lives if they're stopped by a Which band is why of robbers on the road. Honor men. Can we just stop on that point? The reason, one of the reasons why women owe men obedience, deference, and honor is because the guys are the ones that are having to lay down their lives. And they're the ones that are going to be held accountable for the state of their family on their judgment day. Right. That's heavy time. You know, that's why women offer their obedience, their love, support, and um, encouragement to their men is because they, and this is one other thing that are, they, women hate when I say this, but it's like men have the harder job. Ultimately, they are the ones that are being held accountable. Yeah, heavy's, heavy's the head that wears the crown, right? There's a mutual constitution between why, okay, husbands subject their lives if there's a danger, and they subject their spiritual lives, uh, training wives and kids. So there's a kind of subjection there. But only wives submit to husbands. St. Paul says wives must submit in all things. Husbands must not submit in anything. They subject their lives. That's why the great lie of mutual submission must be stricken down. It is a pure lie. It doesn't come from Ephesians chapter doesn't 5. It doesn't come from even in science. It's like if a car, two cars are heading for each other, one goes under. They don't both just like... Go under? <laughs> both go under. That's like, to submit. That's just stupid. I'm sick of people saying mutual submission. How does that even work, by the way? How do you mutually submit I want the on lights on. I want the lights off. I want the lights off. You want the lights on. Let's mutually submit. Let's right. take out half the bulls. Right. It and doesn't work. let's engineer some crazy town reality. Like Who must submit? The wife. You say <laughs> on the first page of the book, you quote the Catechism of Trent. Wives must submit in all things consistent with Christian piety. What this means is all things not inconsistent with Christian piety. This mm-hmm. means... You know, you got to observe the the precepts of the church. A husband can't tell his wife not to go to church. Can't uh, order your wife to sin. All other things, are, you know, a, a wife must. And I address a, a lot of these as I noticed in comments earlier. People were like, well, "What if the husband has an addiction issue? What if he's abusive? What if he's not a good leader? What about this?" The entire last chapter is about this: how a wife should um, behave and comport herself when her husband is minorly to majorly uh, deficient in his duties. So we go through all of that. But um, I don't know if we'll go over that today. There's probably not time. You write this on the first page. I would expect that if a woman writes a book, she speaks her mind by it. Life after the advent of feminism frequently insinuates the false alignment of absolute silence, which you're not advocating, with perfect deference. This proposition, usually true enough, proves false when uttered or received categorically. I caution my reader, the opposite of the opposition's credo is not always true. That is, feminists falsely claim that more female voices are needed. Yet calling such a proposition false does not require the anti-feminist never to speak. After all, the Virgin Mary navigates the middle course at Cana, whereupon a woman speaks and thereby defers to a man. This book will aim to do just as Mary did. One might even say this book recommends that women defer to male headship by its expression instead of remaining silent. What does the Virgin Mother do um, during the wedding feast at Cana? It's just so beautiful. It's just such a a quintessential virgin mother moment where she interjects herself to say, do what he tells you. So she's interjecting herself to say, you know, this is what I have to say about it. Just do what he tells you. (laughs) I mean, it's just beautiful. It's just, it's so in line with, 
nature just, with nature Teach, with... the teaching of the church the teaching of na- of god's nature god and 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 nature's god on nature and nature's god i should say on what what women are really supposed to you're not supposed to just sit there without a personality anyone that's ever watched one of the many shows you've joined me on steph <laughs> people write me about this your wife has so much spirit is she ever silent she's never silent <laughs> But she's not yapping orders at people. <laughs> Ask the kids. You'll give them orders consistent with being a mother, but you'll never contradict my orders. You'll never oh try gosh. to give me orders. Our kids know. Like, don't you? Like, like, and like, they always show this in sitcoms where, like, kids try to, like, you know, pin one parent against the other. Like, oh, well, um, I'll ask mom and then I'll ask dad and see who gave us the answer. It's like, for us, like, if he says something, our kids know. That is a big no-no. You, if your dad says something, you better, I better not see your face on that issue. He, whatever he says, goes. <laughs> and that's what sets this book apart. It's the third thing that sets this book utterly apart from any other anti-feminist literature you've ever come across, Christian or non-Christian or secular anti-feminist lit. Your first chapter is called The Basics, Do Whatever He Tells You. And you, all, you close the chapter in the conclusion section. There's so much good stuff in here we're skipping by quoting uh, a priest, Father Isaac Mary Rolier. And he says this, This is what I tell feminists. You're all a bunch of miserable, miserable beings because you won't accept your role. The greatest person on earth that was created is a woman. It wasn't a man. The Blessed Virgin Mary. What are you complaining about? And then what did she do in the eyes of the world? She cooked, she cleaned, and she prayed. Virgin Mary did not evangelize. She did not go out and teach men. That's what evangelizing is. She did not teach publicly. She cooked, she cleaned, and she prayed. I tell you, says Father Royer, you think you're better than the mother of God, feminists? A lot of women think they're better than the mother of they God. They do. They I, make I, exceptions to themselves. Oh, I'm needed in my job. If you've ever derided being barefoot and pregnant, then this is tantamount to thinking you're better than the mother of God. You're not. He, he continues. <laughs> no surprise, you're not. And that's why you're miserable thinking you're better than her, than she. I tell women, normally speaking, women shouldn't be working if you're married. Now, people say... What do you say, you know, I'm a single parent? Well, of course you have to work then. But the devil twisted everything, and you no longer recognize your role as a mother is to imitate the mother of God. Yes, being barefoot and pregnant. Yes, being submissive in all things to your husband, who is St. Joseph to Mary. And you belong home with your children, in the kitchen, cooking and cleaning. Yes, it's beautiful, sweeping the floor. According to the world, what did Our Lady really do? They say nothing. She was a simple handmaid of the Lord. What did she do? She Fools. cooked, she cleaned, and in that life, she's holier than all the other saints and angels. She didn't need to evangelize. She didn't need to wear pumps. She didn't need to go into the world. She was the holiest and best, not just woman, but created person, better than all the male saints, simply by being the best woman ever to live, the most immaculate, and by being obedient. Made her better than even St. Joseph. I talk about this a lot in the book, that we are so blessed to have a very clear conception of what our Lord thinks is the perfect woman. We know what he thinks the perfect woman is. Because he he, he could have picked her out of, plucked her out of any time period. Out of any time period, he could have picked any woman he wanted, but he chose her then. I mean, just think about that for a second. And think of, that's such a great point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And think of how much that gives the lie to those who say, oh, Old Testament, New Testament, 
there was just a bunch of sexists there. The priest at this local church called oh, a bunch that. of sexists the people in so the Bible. The Lord chose to give... He's saying, I'm going to give you the model for the best woman ever. Jesus is the model for the best man ever. I'm going to give you the model for the best woman ever, the mother of the king, which is an Old uh, Testament type. The mother of the king is the real queen. Um, and and it's Mary, and she was barefoot and pregnant, and I want women to see that. And she got uh, married and pregnant young, and I want women to see that. And she was super, super wise but never bosses around her husband, doesn't ever presume to do that because that's unholy, just like Mary. And she had a great husband. She picked her husband well, by the way. That's another mark of a she good woman. She deserved a St. Joseph. Right. I mean, by her beautiful you know, attention to her vocation, she, she was married to St. Joseph. It's like, and you think about that couple together and like what they... What they did for all of us. I mean, it's just it doesn't just it doesn't get any greater than that. You 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 close on this in chapter eight. It's not one of the four chapter. We're doing the fourth chapter now that really mm-hmm. sets this apart, um, which is an, an obedient wife is actually man's best friend. This is chapter three, and it's <laughs> it's so unique. But you do close on this note of like what to do in all these cases of women that have gotten the Catholic faith ahead of their husbands in uh-huh. a serious way. What to do? Well. You're, 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 you give some good advice in chapter eight there now, but that does highlight the fact that part of being a really good woman is choosing wisely. Mm-hmm. This isn't to say it's too late if you chose, uh, you know, without, without considering the criterion of, is this guy going to be a St. Joseph? Because you can help him become a St. Joseph, but a good woman does choose really wisely, and that's that's what Mary does also. And this makes it easier to be obedient to your husband. This makes it easier to be your husband's best we friend. We talk about this a lot. Like, ladies, you are going to serve this man. Pick a good one. He's your Pick best friend, and yet it, it's the best friendship out there. I, I want to I point this out. It's the best friendship possible between two humans. Aristotle says this. St. John Chrysostom says this. A pagan and a Christian. Husbands and wives should be best friends. That doesn't mean they're equals. They're best friends even though they're not equals. I'm going to read you a couple things here. First off, this is just something else that sets the book apart in this third chapter. Obedience and best friendship is what a wife should be called to vis-a-vis her husband. Uh, Great synopsis of scripture for any lingering Christian feminists out there that think you have a prayer. You quote this at the beginning of chapter 3. John Fulton uh, put all of these scriptural passages together. The husband is the head of the wife from Ephesians verse uh, 5, verse 23. The woman being made for the man and not the man for the woman, 1 Corinthians. Therefore, the woman is not to usurp authority over the man, 1 Timothy, but to be obedient, Titus chapter 2, submitting herself, Colossians chapter 3, with reverence, Ephesians chapter 5, and in subjection to her husband, 1 Peter. You see all of these different books? While the husband is to love his wife as his own body, Ephesians 5, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians chapter 5, and he is especially to honor his wife because of her weakness and dependence, 1 Peter. You, you see all of those? John Fulton did the world a great service by putting them, shoving all the scripture together. A wife is underneath in authority and power her husband and yet what you're saying steph that's so unique is she's still his best friend 
She's still his best friend. Here's this um, section. I want you to comment on this. St. John Chrysostom, one of the Eastern Fathers, uh, confirms this in a homily. You, you write. Here's what he says. A certain wise man, setting down a number of things in the rank of blessings, set down this also in the rank of a blessing. I think this is an important point to close on, the fourth thing that makes this unique. A wife agreeing with her husband. Elsewhere, again, he sets it down among blessings that a woman should dwell in harmony with her husband. And indeed, these are all citing Old Testament passages. And indeed, from the <laughs> beginning, God appears to have made special provision for this union. And discoursing for the twain as one, he said thus, male and female, he created them. And again, there is neither male nor female in uh, Galatians. For there is no relationship, says Chris Austin, between man and man so close is that between man and wife, if, he, if they be joined together as they should be. You see John Chrysostom calling husband and wife best friends in a proper marriage. And therefore, a certain blessed man too, when he would express uh, surpassing love and was mourning for one that was dear to him and of one soul with him, did not mention the father, nor the mother, nor the child, nor brother, nor friend, but what? Thy love to me was wonderful, saith he. Passing the love of women. This is from Second Samuel. All Old Testament stuff. We just read you a bunch of New Testament stuff. Steph cites in chapter 3. But our book is unique and it also cites Old Testament. Chrysostom citing Old Testament. Husbands and wives are best friends when a wife submits. For indeed, in very, in very deed, this love is more despotic than any despotism. For others indeed may be strong, but this passion is not only strong but unfading. Beautiful. For there is certain love deeply seated in our nature, which imperceptibly to ourselves knits together these bodies of ours. Thus, even from the very beginning, woman sprang from man, and afterwards, from man and woman sprang both man and woman. What do you say about that? Amen. Amen that. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to better this stuff. All you have to do is say it. And Steph collected it all right after she I'll cites. I'll leave with one, with one um, passage um, just on the, um, uh, this quote I found. By the way, St. Jose Maria Escriva. Am I saying the last name right? I always yeah. worry about that. Yep. So based. St. Jose Maria Escriva. You guys, if you're not familiar with him, look him up. What he has to say about marriage is like, I thought I was being in the book kind of, uh, you know, brash. brash in some areas. Holy cow. St. Jose Maria. This is what he has to say. And this is on, um, oh, and I found this quote. I was just amazed. I couldn't believe it. But um, this is what he says about women kind of keeping up appearances and kind of honoring your husband's preferences. He says, if a, mar if a marriage is to preserve its initial charm and beauty, both husband and wife should try to renew their love day after day. And that is done through sacrifice, with smiles, and also with ingenuity. Is it surprising that a husband who arrives home tired from work begins to lose patience when his wife keeps on and on about everything she thinks has gone wrong during the day? Disagreeable things can wait for a better moment. When the husband is less tired and more disposed to listen to them. <coughs> Another important thing is personal appearance. And here we go. This is a St. Jose Maria Escriva. And I would say that any priest who says the contrary is a bad advisor. So based. Any priest who says otherwise is a bad advisor, he says. As years go by, a woman who lives in the world has to take more care, not only of her interior life, but of her looks. 
Her interior life itself requires her to be careful about her personal appearance. Naturally, this should always be in keeping with her age and circumstances. I often joke. I often say jokingly that older face uh, is it fa- facades need more restoration. That's kind of a burn. <laughs> As a nearly 40-year-old woman, I, uh, that one landed on me. Um, it, is ne- it is the advice of a... Th- I'm sorry, he says, it is the advice of a priest. An old Spanish saying goes, a well-groomed woman keeps her husband away from other doors. As a, as a woman of Spanish descent, uh, that one also lands hard. <laughs> this is why I'm not afraid to say that women are responsible for 80% of the infidelities of their husbands because they do not know how to win them each day and take loving and considerate care of them. It doesn't get much more controversial than that, does it, ladies? A married woman's attention should be centered on her husband and children as a married man's attention should be centered on his wife and children. Much time and effort is required to succeed in this. And anything which militates against it is bad and should not be tolerated. And this is the last paragraph. There is no excuse for not fulfilling this lovable duty. Work outside the home is not an excuse. Not even one's life of piety can be an excuse because if it is incompatible with one's daily obligation, it is not good nor is it pleasing to God. A married woman's first concern has to be her home. There is an uh, Aragonese saying, which goes, and this is where he ends it. I love this. If they're going to church to pray, a woman burns her stew. She may be half an angel, but she's half a devil too. And he says, I'd say she was a fully fledged devil. (laughs) Do you understand understand how many trads are out there saying, oh, well. Well, my wife's the best wife because she's going to daily mass. It's like if you're going to daily mass and neglecting your duties, then you're displeasing God. Your duties, first duties are to husband, then to kids. Go to mass, go to daily mass only if you can fulfill those first. Some people in the chat are saying, oh, they're like, that's what I'm saying, single. Yeah, if you don't, let me just say that. Stay single. If you don't want to, to abide by the rules... And if you don't, if you think, oh, I don't want to, you know, subject myself to a man, if I don't know how he's going to be, stay single, stay single. Don't, don't get married. Right. The worst thing you could do is get married with that attitude. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't get married under false pretext. And that's, it's not. Consider the priesthood or, or, or if you're a lady, consider a religious vocation. If you, if you find that sort of the rules that God lays out for men and women to be difficult to follow, fair enough then don't partake in that vocation. Yeah, see, so we've gone through the four aspects of this book that people aren't going to hear elsewhere that are clear Christian teaching. And and if people are saying, wow, I've never heard that, I, I don't like that. Or some people are saying, wow, I've never heard that and I do like mm-hmm. that, uh, particularly a lot of the men out there, then, then that's fine. That just proves the case, right? That proves the case that you're not being told what you ought to be told entering into marriage in these ridiculous marriage classes that are teaching you a lot of times they're, they're omitting to teach the truth or they're actually committing false teachings. But you are, this is the fourth point here, really made clear by what Steph just read. The fourth point is husband and wife should be more close than any other family members, any friends, any other one, anyone outside the household, even the kids yes. inside the household. But it's a friendship that's especially close because, as Aristotle says in Book 8 of Nicomachean Ethics, it's a friendship between unequals, which enables the intimacy to be closer than any other intimacy. 
because it's a true friendship between unequals. A lot I of women think- have gotten mad at me before for saying that, that I put my husband above my kids. And I do not apologize to anybody for, for, for pointing that out. Women need to be putting their husband above their kids. And it's not because they're incompetent or they can't tie their own shoes or they need their bum bum powdered or anything like that. It's because from the married relationship, everything else follows. The, the, how the children relate to the parents, how the parents relate to the children, everything, how the children are relating to society, how the children are picking spouses in the future, how they're even relating with their, with how the children are relating in their, in their own faith. Everything in the family unit is stemming from the husband and the wife. Paying close attention to that relationship, that's number one. That should be number one in your lives. <coughs> outside of God, obviously. Outside of your relationship with God. I think, I think sincerely, I, I believe, uh, these were four well, well-picked paths. It's just such a good book. I think we've made the case <laughs> that this is the most unique anti-feminism book that's ever been written by the hand of a woman. I, I, I sincerely believe that. Uh, you can get it today. People who have pre-ordered it are getting it in the mail and beginning the chapters. If you do have it, please, I, I would implore you, please, if you have it and you've started even a chapter, please go to Amazon and leave a comment on it. It's it's important to leave a comment. Whatever you think. It doesn't have to be, this is the greatest book I've ever read. Just leave a comment that's honest and, and fair because uh, Amazon really needs the comments. Can I just end on a personal note? Um, I just wanted to read my acknowledgement because this guy here has been just instrumental in helping me in my entire life. Since we met since we were 18, but brought me to the faith and just uh, like with this book, you helped me so much. So I wanted to read that. Um, I said, I dedicate this book to my husband, Timothy Gordon, who inspired the creation of Ask Your Husband when he asked if he could be mine. And I love this quote. This quote always reminds me of our, our marriage. I said, concerning the closeness of our marriage, Emily Bronte put it best. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. Also to the memory of John Morehouse, who, who knew just what to say to a first-time author to give her confidence to write her first book and to whom to ask her to convince her to write it. <laughs> and of course, to the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave the greatest answer ever to the greatest question ever asked. So thank you very much. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, thank you, Stevie. I, I, really, really uh, an excellent, excellent book. Pick it up today. Tan Books, Amazon. It will not disappoint if you've read some of it, leave a comment here. And even more importantly, leave a comment at Amazon because it, it matters quite a bit. It's going to be interesting to read those comments, I'm telling you. And if you want to support us, I have a book called The Case for Patriarchy. Steph has one called Ask Your Husband. We are getting blowback already. Then then we can use your support. Go to Patreon, Timothy J. Gordon. Like this channel, subscribe, click the notification bell, leave a comment here. We really appreciate you parish orphans and retrogrades out there. Steph, you want to take us out? Uh, sure. Just thank you so much for um, hearing me hearing me out on this book. <laughs> and uh, I really, contrary to what it sounded like for the past hour or so, I actually really do love women. And I really just want them to have the greatest and best lives um, that they could have. So. <laughs> Doesn't sound contrary to that at all. Sounds like someone that's willing to say obvious yet unpopular truths in the name of that love for women and for more important than that for the family for the health for the good of humanity to get as many people to heaven as we can and here on uh, rules for retrogrades i don't shy away from saying unpopular truths that will get more people to heaven 
I know other Catholic podcasts often do, but that's why you come here if you come here. It's because I don't care about the red meat. I don't care about throwing the chum in the water. The unpopular truths, So sometimes it's fun to say unpopular truths with our group, with our tribe, but sometimes our tribe responds as viscerally and as unseemingly as, uh, as, as Super secularists. Mean. Super mean. <laughs> we don't care. Steph is cut from that same cloth, and you get it when you, you read Ask Your Husband. So, so go pick up the book today. Also, if you're, if you're making an Amazon order, couple that book, Ask Your Husband, with the case for patriarchy. They're genuinely different books, male perspective, female perspective, lots of different content. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.